While we do want to take a moment to remember the men in, who defended our country and gave us the, really defended the freedoms that we have enjoyed, and we want to recognize that sacrifice that enabled us to grow up in a country that gave us freedom to worship the Lord Jesus Christ openly and freely. Now we know those freedoms are being eroded, but we certainly remember that sacrifice. And so this morning we want to praise God for uh, allowing those freedoms to be given to us for a longer period of time than might have been. Let's take our Bibles then this morning and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 as we continue our study through the book of, of Romans. And our text this morning will be verses 11 and 12. 11 and 12. But we again want to put uh, this section into its context. And so we will be reading beginning at verse 8 all the way to verse 15. As Paul begins this Thanksgiving section for the Romans. Listen to the word of God as it is read this morning. First I thank God, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. There ends the reading of God's inerrant word this morning. And I do know this, with all of you who are memorizing Romans and, and knowing it, Word by word, it gets, there's more pressure to read the Word of God without missing a word. <laughs> and so you guys are making my job harder, but that's absolutely wonderful. As I can, I can see you, many of you reciting as we read the Word of God together, and that's exciting. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we walk our way through our text this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for so great salvation. And we thank you for the book of Romans that speaks of the gospel, a gospel that saves the true gospel and a gospel that transforms our lives and changes how we live. And so this morning, again, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us through the word of God, that he would instruct our hearts and that you would use your word as you see fit in our hearts and that you will be again glorified through the worship of your people and the transformation of your people through the word of God here this morning in your name. Amen. Well, we began last week and we began with really this idea that we recognize that our society is becoming more fragmented. Our society is getting to that point where everybody does their own thing. You come to, uh, you get together with a family gathering and everyone's on their phone. Everybody is, is, is again texting. They might even text across the table. But we are becoming more and more isolated. We are becoming more apart. In fact, when, when COVID hit, there was barely even a whimper because people weren't used to community. There was a time even in the secular world where community was considered to be a big thing. In fact, if you traveled to a strange town and you showed up in any of the establishments there, they were like, who are you? What are you doing here? Right? 
don't talk to our girls in our town. These are our girls. You go away. Right? There was, there was that sense of community. Right? Crime was low. Why? Because you knew your neighbor. You can, you can rob somewhere else, but you don't do crime here. But as that's disappeared and that sense of community has gone, then all of a sudden violence has gone up and crime has gone up and robberies have gone up. Because there's no community and there's no pride and there's no protection of one another. And certainly, as it has affected society, unfortunately, has started to come into the church as well. And the church now is fragmented and, and people are fragmented and even though they may even attend the same building, they certainly have nothing in common. At least they certainly don't know each other. In fact, why can't I just watch church on TV? Why can't I just watch TV? We'll live stream it. It's more comfortable. I can do it in my jammies. I don't have to get up as early. It's a win, 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 right? I don't, I'm saving gas. It's actually a financial stewardship issue, right? And I can stay home. Well, that's bad enough. But then all of a sudden, the church has said, you know what? We've got different people in church, and we have to, we have to address those type of things. And so we need to have different services. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a contemporary service for the young people. And we're going to change how we do that. We're going to change the music. We're going to make the message a little bit more peppy. And then when we get to the older people, we'll slow it down. We'll put the organ on, right? We'll talk slower, right? We don't want to wake anybody up. And so we have, we have these separate services. And so now we're even separating our, the church itself. And we have, we have separate gatherings, and if, if, if not that, then we, have, we certainly meet on different campuses and we can watch the pastor up on the screen in 2D, right? No more 3D pastors. That's just a waste of resources when we can just send it across the internet. And in many ways, we start to even isolate the church from each other and we actually have separate churches gathering together and we have the young people here and we have the older people here and then we are actually keeping the church from being a family because last time I saw there's mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, then kids. And now we have the immature believers who are all getting together and they are, they are singing their songs with a little more pep and we have the mature believers all by themselves and there's no mutual edification between the groups. And what you're really doing is you're, you're hamstringing the church and its ability to grow and to, to edify one another. And you break up those relationships. Well, as we've been looking at Romans, as Paul begins this Thanksgiving section and as he starts to give praise for them, and he gives the historical circumstances behind writing this letter, Paul is also demonstrating a heart for the people that he is writing to, and he is demonstrating what's important to him. And he recognizes that Christianity isn't a solo sport, me and Jesus and no one else. But he recognizes that Christianity and the church is to be done in community and, and can be committed to one another and to committed to Christian relationships. And so as he, as he gives us these historical circumstances and he, as he describes his thanksgiving for them, Paul also reveals his heart and we get a picture of his heart, how he feels towards the Romans. And Paul says there are commitments that we need to be making to one another as Christian believers, whether, it's, whether we are in church or whether we are during the week. Certainly as we gather, but all through the week. And the, as we saw last week, he says, first of all, we just need to be thankful for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes we forget to be thankful for one another. We're so busy being critical and we're so busy thinking that, you know what, you need to grow up or you don't tick like I tick and I don't know if you're a heretic, but the thing is is that you're not, you're not where you should be, right? You irritate me. Instead of praising God that God has saved that person, that God is working in their lives. And remember, 
you think maybe you're, you've arrived, but you haven't. And also, you once were somewhere else. And God is changing you, so appreciate the work that God is doing in them. Do we look for people's strengths? Or do we just find everything that bothers us? Paul says you need to be thankful. Secondly, we saw in verse 9 that we are to be praying. Paul was praying for the Romans. He says, I unceasingly mention you in my prayers. Right? And it's clear from verse 10, always in my prayers. Paul prayed for the Romans. He hadn't even met them, and yet it was a pattern of his life to pray for the spiritual need of other believers. Locally, our missionaries, other churches, are we demonstrating this in our relationship with other believers? Are we holding them up in prayer? Trust me, the more you pray, the more you're going to be able to be thankful, right? It's hard to be critical of people that you're praying that God, God's best will be happening to them. And then thirdly, last time, we said you were supposed to enjoy other believers. Just enjoy them. Enjoy fellowship with them. Just enjoy being with them. And there is a certain joy. You know, when you bring a baby home, right, what does a baby bring to your life? As far as I know, and like, I'm just spitballing here, but lack of sleep, (laughs) dirty diapers, right? Throw up on my good clothes, right? What what, what is the benefit of that baby, right? It's the joy of relationship. You just, you you see that little thing laying there, and you're just like, oh, right? It's the joy of relationship. He's not bringing anything. And there's a sense when we get together with other believers, we're doing the same thing. We're just enjoying one another. We look across, maybe we look across at each other and say, no, but, but we do enjoy one another, right? There's just, there's just a joy of relationship. We're in the same family. And so there's just, there's just a joy that we celebrate together. And we should. We should look forward to that. And we saw that that happens not over the phone, not by texting, right? Not by email, not by postcard. Because even Paul, right? He's writing a letter and he says, I want to what? See you. It's not enough. We need to be what? Face to face and see one another. So this morning we come to two more of those commitments that we, have to, we should have for one another. Commitments we need to be making so that we are living in fellowship with one another, that we are living in community with one another, and that we demonstrate how God intended us to live together. Right? If we, so that we are, we are living out the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to one another. And so this morning we come to this, we would call our fourth commitment to one another, and that is to promote their spiritual growth. We, we, we pray for them, we're thankful for them, we enjoy them, but we need to be active in promoting their spiritual growth. He says in verse 11, if you look at your Bibles, For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be established now for Paul the goal of all his relationships ultimately we know this is the glory of God and that is always paramount when we we said that earlier that it is always paramount that we live for the glory of God we want to be pleasing to him in all that we do we are saved for the glory of God he saved us for his glory he wants all the credit for our salvation and he wants you to live a life that demonstrates that glory to the, the power of his grace. But Paul comes down now, and he, but he says, but also that love of God and living for God's glory will result in, in, a, in a vertical relationship with others, and it will change how you interact with one another. Now notice he says, I long to see you, right? And he, he already said 
in verse 10 that I might succeed in coming to you. I want to come to you. But he says, I long to see you. It's, it, this is a, describes a, a strong desire, an intense craving, all right? A great affection, a deep desire, an earnest yearning. And he says, I, I, I am continually longing to see you. Presently, I will long to see you. And this is my habit that I long to see you. I want to see you perception by sight. I want to see your face. I want to be, I want to be with you. This is so typical of Paul. He's, he, we, we think of him as this hard type A personality, but he, there's such a sentimentality to Paul because he recognized that we were, we were believers and family of God. And he said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.4, I'm longing to see you even as I recall your tears that I may be filled with joy. I, I just want to see you. I just long, I have this strong desire. He uses this word here also to describe Epaphroditus longing to be back in Philippi. He says, I long to be back there. He wants to be there. He's saying, I'm homesick for you. And Paul says, I'm homesick for you because you're the family of God and I want to see you. He says, my heart aches to see you. It's it's like I, I I want it so bad my heart hurts. He says, when I think about it, when I, when I see this, this is my, my, I have this heartache to see you. Now, we noted last time, and, and as we were looking, we, we talked that Paul simply wanted to enjoy their company. He just wanted to be there with them. He wanted to be physically pre- present and enjoy them. But if you're just to keep your finger in, in, your, in chapter 1, and you flip over to Romans chapter 15. Paul has been discussing here that he is going to go through to Spain. And he says in verse 24, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there. In other words, Paul says, I'm writing this letter to you because I want to give you the gospel and I want you to hear my gospel from me and I want you to have that. But he also says, I'm coming coming here and I'm going to go to Spain. In other words, I'm on my missionary journey and I want you to what? Support me. That's kind of bold, (laughs) right? It's kind of bold. I'm actually writing a letter to you. And by the way, I'm, I'm expecting once I've been there with you, you're going to give me money to go on my missionary trip. Now, I'm pretty sure that if we had received, if we receive a letter like this from any, anybody coming through, we, were, we would be like, uh, yeah, that's not happening. But this is the Apostle Paul, and he is convinced that this is what God will have. And so as he writes here, we would understand that this is God's will because, or certainly God would, would, would approve of it because it's in the word of God. But he says this in verse 24, I want to be helped on my way when I have first what? Enjoyed your company. Yeah. Paul just wants to be with them, right? He says, just skip down to verse 32. The same idea. So that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest, what? In your company. He says, I just want to be with you. I just want to experience fellowship with you. There's just a relaxation with you. You know what it's like when you're with other believers. There's just a, we're home, we're relaxed. We don't have to, we don't have to do our hair. We don't have to, well, maybe you should. But we, we don't have to put on airs, right? There's a relaxation that comes with being with family. And so Paul says, I I long to see you. I I long to enjoy you. But also, he says, there's another reason. He says, and he uses this little words here, so that, right? Here's the purpose. I long to see you. And it's not just to enjoy you, but I have a purpose. I have a reason for me coming. And he says, it's because I, I long to see you. Why? That so that, here's the purpose, I may impart some spiritual gift to you. In other words, I'm coming and, and, and I'm, I'm going to give you something. He says, I'm going to impart something. And this word here carries the idea of not just giving, but the idea of sharing. 
it, it has the idea of imparting that which is one's own. So you would say, I'm going to share my, I'm going to give you a tunic, or I'm going to share my tuna sandwich with you, right? You're sharing something that you have to give. And so there, there is that sense of sharing together. And he says, I'm going to impart to you, and I'm going to give this to you. And he says, specifically, what am I going to give? What am I going to bring to you? What benefit? Some spiritual gift. Now this is, you're going to, first of all, you should be at this point. What does he mean by that? Some spiritual gift. Like that, your spidey sense should go up and you should say, what is going on here? What does he mean by spiritual gift? Well, this is the only place that he uses this phrase in Scripture. This is the only time that, we, that he puts these words together. And so we're going to have to go on a little bit of a hunt to figure out what this is. Well, we know that this word for gift is the word charisma, sometimes charismata. Literally, it means grace gift or, grace, or a gracious gift. And it is used in different sense in the New Testament. It's used in different ways as it, as it is used. So, for instance, in Romans chapter 5, verse 15... It's used of the gift of salvation. Paul says, But the free gift is not like the transgression, speaking of salvation, for it is by the transgression of one that many died. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. In other words, salvation came to many and it was a gift from God. It's used of the gifts given to Israel in Romans chapter 11, this same word. He says in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And so we know that God called Israel out as his people. And he says that calling is irrevocable. I'm not going to get rid of them. I'm not going to, to replace them. But he also says for the gifts. And we would understand that Israel was called to God, not, and they were set apart for him. They would be a priesthood of, of believers. They had a covenant relationship with God. They now became his people. They now began to worship him in the temple. And so all of these gifts, right, they had, they, they had the promises that were given to them, and, and those gifts were given to them. And so the, the word is used for the gifts given to Israel. Now you remember as we studied through 1 Corinthians and we went through 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and we touched on that section on singleness. On singleness. And we, we spoke about, about biblical singleness and this word is used for the gift of what? Singleness. Yet I wish that all men were like my, even as myself. However, each man has his own gift from God. In other words, your marital status is a what? A, a gift of God. And trust me, for you who are married, that is a gift of God. It's used of rescue from physical danger in 2 Corinthians 1.11. But most often this word is used in Scripture for the spiritual gifts that are given to a believer. So those spiritual gifts that are listed in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12, and also in Romans chapter 12. He begins in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, and he starts with the, the, the issues of gifts, and he says in verse 3, for through, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think more highly of himself than they ought to think, but to think with sound judgment as God has allotted each a measure of faith. In other words, God gives you a measure of faith. God gives you the gifts of the Spirit. And then he talks about there about being one body and many members, and each, each member has what? Its own function. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, um, and here Paul says, you, you already have what? Spiritual gifts. You've already been given spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives gifts as he will. He's already given them to you. Each one of you has a spiritual gift. You have actually spiritual gifts. You have them in varying degrees. But he says, that's already been done. So it would be hard for Paul 
to be now giving you a spirit, an extra spiritual gift. Right? He says, you've already been given spiritual giftedness. This came at your salvation. He gives you your gifts at salvation. They're not something that you can add to. They're not something that you can get more of. There's not something that you're supposed to be praying to get more. You are simply to develop the gifts that he has given to you. So Paul wasn't saying, look, I'm coming to give you the gifts of the Spirit. He wasn't saying, I'm going to give you the gift of teaching. I'm, I'm going to give you the gift of healing. He didn't say, he wasn't saying that. And Paul never uses these words that he uses here in, first, in chapter 1 to speak of those kind of gifts. But Paul says in a very generic way, and he puts it this, I want to import, impart to you some spiritual gift to you. A, a very general expression. Right? He doesn't say, I want to give you the, 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 the gifts of the Spirit. He doesn't say, I'm giving you spiritual gifts. But he says, I want to give you some Spiritual gift, very general statement. And so he's saying, I'm coming to give you what? Uh, not spiritual givenness, uh, sorry, I, giftedness, but I'm, all, I'm coming to give you a spiritual benefit or blessing. So he's not saying, I'm coming to give you another second blessing. He's not getting a second work of the Holy Spirit. He's not imparting a spiritual ha- uh, gift by laying on hands. But rather, it's, it's helping them to grow spiritually. He says, I'm coming to give you a spiritual gift, a spiritual blessing through my ministry. And he says it's spiritual in the broadest sense because it has to do with spirituality. It has to do in the area of, of the spiritual realm. But also in the, in the sense that this this ministry will be done what and sourced in the Holy Spirit. In other words, any work that I do, any ministry that I do will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the only way that it will be a spiritual value to you if the Holy Spirit is working. And so he says, I'm going to come and give you any divinely empowered spiritual benefit. It has to be done through the Spirit to you. He says, and, and it becomes clear in the next phrase, I long to see you so that I might what? Impart some spiritual gift to you. And why does he want to give him the spiritual gift? That you may what? Be established. The word established means to cause to be inwardly strong, to be inwardly firm, unmoved. It was used, uh, this word is often used of fortifying a building. You see a building that starts and the foundation starts to go or it's had an earthquake and it's going to fall over and you put stuff on the outside and you put supports to hold it to keep it from moving. And he says, I want to establish you. I want to keep, I want to stabilize you. I want to make sure that you're strong. I want to strengthen you. He says, I want to strengthen your souls and establish you in the faith. It's the same word that was used by Jesus in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, when he says to Peter, after Peter has denied him and Peter has, has been uh, gone away and he says, guess what? When you deny me and when you've turned and when you've come repented, he says, strengthen your brothers, firm them up, encourage them. And Paul wanted these believers in Rome to have their confidence in the gospel further established. He wanted their spiritual strength to increase. And in that, remember, strengthening your faith ultimately means obedience. It must be followed by obedience. So the question then becomes... How do they get strengthened? It's one thing to say, I'm going to strengthen you. So you need to be strengthened. How on earth do we actually get strengthened? Like, how does, how does that work? Well, we know this. 
Only the Spirit can do that. We know that the, only the Holy Spirit can transform you, right? You are working out what he is working in you. It is necessary for the Holy Spirit to do the work in you. He's the one that will establish you. He's the one who, who will ultimately transform you. But how does he do that? How does he actually do that? Does the Holy Spirit just kind of just come out of the sky and start transforming you? Well, he doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit is tied to what? The Word of God. In other words, transformation always comes through what? Truth. It always comes through doctrine. You cannot, you cannot be transformed without the truth of the Word of God. God uses his word and he uses that truth to transform you. This is the renewing of the mind and it will not take place without it. If you remember, and you probably don't because it's been a long time, when we went through 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, we, can sit, we could endure it no longer. We thought it best to be left behind at Athens and alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and fellow worker in the in the gospel of Christ here to what to strengthen and encourage you as to what your faith so the question becomes how did Timothy strengthen the Thessalonian believers faith what was the mechanism he went there to what to teach he went there to encourage them in the truth now what's implied in in Thessalonians Peter makes very clear in 2nd Peter 1 12 he says, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of the things I just shared with you, the truths I have mentioned, he says in the, in the previous verses, what I've been teaching you, what I've been writing to you about, even though you already know those truths and you have been, and here's our word, established in the truth which is present with you. I'm, how, am I, how am I encouraging? How am I making it happen? By reminding you of the truth, by taking you back to what's been taught, to the truths of God's Word. And so it is only through the Word of God that the Holy Spirit then now takes the truths of the Word of God and He convinces you of the truth of the Word of God. He so convinces you of the truth that that now becomes your convictions and you be start to live them out. And this is the renewing of the mind because we think God's thoughts. The Bible is written by the Holy Spirit who is God and therefore what is here is God's thoughts. And as you think God's thoughts and as the Holy Spirit continues to take those truths and make them dear to your heart and convince you of the truth and you see the righteousness of God and you see the putridness of sin, you you start to be transformed from glory to glory and into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the Spirit works. He brings us through the truth and He establishes us. And Paul says, I'm coming and I'm going to what? Impart to you some truth, some, some giftedness that I can bring to you to establish you in the faith, to strengthen you. So Paul says, this is, this is what I desire. I want to establish you. I'm there to what? Promote your spiritual growth. I'm not coming primarily for me. I long to see you. But this isn't some self-indulgent longing because I just, I just miss you and it's sentimental and it makes me feel good. Paul says, I'm coming and I desire this because I want to promote your spiritual growth. I want you to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to grow deeper in your faith and I want you to be more like Christ for the glory of God. So Paul was committed to his relationship to the Romans and he was committed because he wanted to what? At the bottom level, promote the spiritual growth of his brothers and sisters. Is that what we do? Is that what we pursue in our relationships with one another? How often do we come to church and how often are we happy to have Christian friends because it's 
it makes us feel better. Right? After all, you know what? It is really nice to get together with people who think the same way as we do. We don't have to be horrified about their politics or their, their world their worldview. It's just easier not to have to, ha- to, to, to have to, you know, argue. Not that we would do that, of course, but, but it's, it's, we don't have to s- watch what we say, right? We just pursue it because it's just, it's fun. It's enjoying. I mean, we can pursue coming to church for all the wrong reasons too, can't we? I mean, after all, uh, it's good for business. You know, I put that little fish in my window and all of a sudden, people are coming through, right? And I mean, Let's not go to Bowmanville Baptist Church. <laughs> That's a small congregation. We're going we're gonna to hit the mega church, right? Because there's more clients there, right? It's just good for business. Hey, maybe I can get to know somebody. Maybe, maybe I'll get to be known in the Christian community. If I, can, if I just make the right, my right relationships. Oh, you know what? It's a nice place. I like church because it's a safe place to raise my children. The people are nice. I don't have to worry about them. They can go play. They're going to be safe, right? They can have good friends. It's a good influence. It's a good thing. And we're coming, we're coming to church and we're coming into our Christian relationships and we're saying, what's in it for me? What, what, what can I do? But at the bottom line, our Christian relationship's about loving God and what loving one another. And we know this. Love by its nature is what? Giving. It's not receiving. It's not about me. It's about giving. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He didn't take. He gave. And that is the bottom line of Christian relationship. That we are to be what? Loving one another. Caring for one another. Coming together for what? Not just for their temporal needs, but for their spiritual needs. That we are coming together to promote their spiritual growth. And so the question becomes, how do we actually do this? How do we actually do this? How do we come together and encourage and promote spiritual growth? Well, I can tell you this. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen by accident. You do not build anything by accident. There has to be intentionality. In other words, we need to come together with the, with the intention of building one another up. How often do we come to church and, we, and are, we're talking about everything but spiritual things? And we can come to church and, and listen, beloved, and I am, I am the worst, so I'm pointing fingers at me. How often do we come to church and our conversations are about everything that's happening in the news? How often are we so caught up in the world and the things that are taking place in the world that we never speak about the Lord Jesus Christ? And we talk about everything else. But we never talk about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we never talk about anything spiritual, but we talk about everything else. So our conversations have to go deeper. And so we must come to church. And remember, coming to church is not to co- coming to church to hear the pastor speak. This isn't just about coming to church to get your spiritual fill-up for the week so that you can go and do what you want. Coming to church is coming to what? To serve. Right? When we come to salvation and we give the true gospel, the true gospel is about coming to the Lord and making Jesus Christ Lord, about giving up all your rights and serving Him and therefore serving His people. And so when you come to church, you don't come to get, you come to give. If you're dissatisfied in coming to church because you don't get anything, start giving. Because that's what you were saved to do. 
Now, there are times where we would say, and this is the most difficult, because someone new comes to the church, right? And, and we can do this, right? Where we go, why are you, how did you hear about us? Tell me about your salvation. Tell me about your spiritual journey. How, how did you come along? But most of us, we don't have new people every day or every week, or we don't get to talk to them, but we are now talking with people, and this is the hardest part, who have been here, and we have been talking to them day, week after week, year after year, and our conversations never go above the temporal. And so what we want is this, is we need to be intentional to point people to deeper things. How can I pray for you? What have you been reading? What has the Lord been teaching you? This is what the Lord's been teaching me. Turn our conversations so that we are literally speaking about spiritual things. Be intentional. Yes, temporal things are important. We know that circumstances of life, all of those things make life challenging. But what is God teaching us through our circumstances? Are you promoting the spiritual growth of others when you come to church? Are you actually a distraction? We can be a distraction because we come here week after week and we just talk about everything but spiritual values. And Paul says, I'm here for the, what? The promote the spiritual growth of those people around me. So Paul says, promote their spiritual growth. And then verse 12, he says, pursue the mutual benefits of fellowship. That is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Here's that fifth commitment. And Paul, maybe, maybe out of humility and maybe, uh, maybe as he changes the emphasis here, he wants to make sure that he doesn't sound proud and that, that, he's the, that they're the only ones who would benefit from his visit. But he says, let me clarify that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith both yours and mine. Paul says, I want to see you. And, and, and this is such a, he's just piling up phrases in this thing. He anticipates the mutual benefits together. And he says, when I come, I want to be encouraged together with you. In other words, and the emphasis is Paul says, I want to be encouraged by your faith primarily. You'll be encouraged by me, but I also want to be encouraged with you. I want this mutual fellowship to come. I want to be with you so that I might experience this fellowship and I might be built up. That I might be, we might be encouraged together with you while among you. He says, I want your, your, my faith to be encouraged. I want my, my, my belief to be strengthened. I want my joy to be, to be greater and he says, I want to be encouraged by you. I want to be lift, lifted up. I want to go forth and be even, even more encouraged at God's work because I see what he's doing among you. Paul is truly a humble man. You recognize that Paul here, he's been in the ministry for 30 years. He wasn't, he wasn't a come-along-lately fellow. Paul was, was highly educated in languages in the Word of God. He was used by God. He wasn't your average Bowmanville Baptist pastor. This man wrote 13 books of the Bible. This man was, was used by God. He was known. He was known by churches and he was known by the unsaved. And yet Paul says... I want to what? Be encouraged by your faith. John Calvin says, note how modestly he expresses what he feels by not refusing to seek 
seeks strength from an, inex- from an inexperienced beginners. He means what he says too, for there is none so void of gifts in the church who cannot in some measure contribute to our spiritual progress. And Paul says there isn't one believer One believer who has been given the gifts of the Spirit, who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how immature or how young, cannot encourage your faith. Now, some of you might come to church and you go like, I don't know. I don't think I have anything to offer. Poor me. I think I'm just a drain on the church. And Paul says actually far from it. Far from it. As you come as a believer to the church, you have something what to offer. Because as the mature believer looks at, at the immature believer, he is encouraged to see the growth and encouraged to see what God is doing in their life. No one is so mature. If Paul could enjoy the believers at Rome, how much more could any one of us enjoy each other? When we come to church, we're going to find, and I know there are saints here who are more mature than me, and there are church saints who are less mature than I am. But when we come to church, we can what? Enjoy one another. We can enjoy the faith of one another. And so when we are together, we look at one another and we, we simply what? Enjoy it. Regardless of the spiritual maturity, what we have something to give. This is why it's so uplifting for the church to have new believers. We evangelize not just for the glory of God, and we do that. And we evangelize not just because we want the church to grow in numbers, and we would like that if it grows the right way. But one of the greatest joys in the church is new believers. Right? Because they're like babies. They're all over the place. They're happy, right? They are just joyful and they talk about the Lord and that's all they can talk about. And sometimes you're like, well, no, no, God doesn't do it that way. And oh, maybe that word shouldn't be used. But you're just excited because there's a joy and a happiness and, and, a, and you are encouraged. And you're like, but they're a baby. Yeah. But look what God's doing. That's so encouraging. That's so wonderful. Look, what, look how he's transforming them. Look at their love for God. Maybe I, maybe I need to consider, maybe I've lost my first love. Maybe I need to be speaking out about the Lord more. Maybe I need to ask God to help me to love him as much as this new believer loves him. There's always something to learn. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, as we get together, he speaks of the body being fitted together, held together by every joint, supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. Ephesians chapter 4. In other words, every single believer that attends this fellowship is absolutely necessary for its growth. This is why we, in our church memberships, we, insist, we put that little clause that you will attend faithfully this church. Because you are unique, your gifting is unique, and your contribution to the church is unique, and no one else can replace you, and you are an encouragement to the other believers. And there's no one who is too weak, too immature, and too small, who cannot be used of God in order to encourage the church. And so we are called to what? To encourage one another, to pursue the mutual benefits of fellowship. And that means, guess what? You need to be here on Sunday. You need to come out and you need to be here because you are a necessary part of God's church. And this isn't just for Sundays. This is for every Christian relationship you have. Pursue the benefits of fellowship. Being together means we are fellowshipping. Now, fellowship, remember, does not mean, and some of you won't believe that I'm saying this, it does not mean just eating food together. 
it does not mean just being together. It doesn't mean that we just sit there and we talk about the weather or the new crazy law that the government passed. Fellowship is about the Lord Jesus Christ and central, having him central to our conversations and our lives. And so if we want true fellowship, it's going to have to be a believer to believer and centered where? On Christ. That's, that's where we go. And that's true biblical fellowship. Yes, getting together we enjoy. Getting to to all of those things. But we must be together to encourage one another. This is God has intended for us. Yes, the glory of God, the Holy Spirit, but he uses means to accomplish his task and this is one of them that we need to be committed to the mutual benefits of fellowship. And so we need to be committed, as Paul was, to take our conversations deeper, to go beyond the temporal and the shallow, and to gather together and to encourage one another in our faith. Let's be that church. Let's make these commitments to one another to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity. We thank you for its truth. And I pray that we would be a church and that we would be individual believers that come together and promote the spiritual growth of one another. And that we would recognize the need for mutual benefits. That we are not above our brothers that we can be an encouragement even if we're immature and that we would pursue those benefits, that we would be together, that we would fellowship together and that you would continue to mold us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ and make us a fit bride for your son, I pray in your name. Amen.